0: Jesus, Lord, oh my Savior. you come to worship him. Isn't he wonderful? Are you glad for what he's done in your life? What a resurrection weekend. What an Easter celebration. It's not a parade. It's not some kind of bonnets. It's not uh, Easter bunnies and uh, uh, what else they have? Easter eggs and different things. It's a resurrection going on in our lives. There's something real that's happening Amen, and we thank God for that this evening. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. You can have your seats for a moment. I was just coming to the pulpit, and your pastor texted me, so I better bring you greetings from him. (laughs) Amen. Uh, God bless you. It's good to see each and every one of you here. I wanted to say God bless you to Sister Sandy and Brother Ethan. Um, Good to see you. haven't shaken your hand yet, but uh, we certainly are praying for Brother... Ed, out on the field there in Uganda, he says, The Lord blessed us with two good services yesterday, one to the local church in Kasisi and another one to a Pentecostal church that has recently come out. And uh, praise the Lord. Amen. The Lord is certainly doing wonderful things in the country of Uganda, as He is all over the world. And uh, he says, Today is the start of a convention... So today, meaning Saturday, it's now Saturday there, says two services today and two tomorrow. He said believers have come from three to four hundred kilometers away from Rwanda, from Congo, and in the country here. So they're going to have some wonderful meetings there, and I believe we're going to have some wonderful meetings here. You know, Brother Branham made a statement. He says, a vision never heals anybody. He says, a vision just shows people that there's a supernatural being present, and that gives the people faith. And now I'm not a prophet, and I don't see visions. I haven't seen but maybe one or two in my entire life, but yet I believe there's a supernatural being present. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's promised to be in our midst. And may something that is done today show you that he's here and may it build your faith to receive whatever you have need of. And even if you don't need anything, you can just simply worship Him along with everybody else. And we thank God for His grace in our lives. Bring you greetings from the saints at Cloverdale Bible Way. And uh, Brother Tom Ray sends his greetings. And the other ministers, they all greet you here in Edmonton. It's always an honor to be here. I was thinking this afternoon... Uh, always have had great respect for what God has done and is doing here at End Time Message Tabernacle. I am privileged to have been a friend of your former pastor and a close friend of your pastor now. And uh, Brother Ed is one of my closest friends, if not the closest friend I have in this world outside of my wife. And uh, I sure appreciate him. And i and i don't say it because he's just my friend and happens to be streaming right now he's one of the greatest men i know is that okay brother ed yeah and uh but seriously he is a great man and uh i think he's a uh, only you can say whether he's a great pastor but we appreciate him i've certainly appreciate him and have for a long time been associated with you here since 1983. How many of you have been here since 1983? Raise your hand. I wanna see how many. Well, there's only a few of us anymore. I guess we're all getting older, aren't we? And uh, you know, one sister I met in uh, Arizona last time I was in Arizona, she said, uh, she said, Brother Tim, we're getting older. Some of our friends are passing on. And she says, the rest of us are all moving closer to the front of the line. I thought that was an interesting way to say it, you know. Uh, we, I guess as we get older, we move closer to the front of the line. But we're not here to talk about just the burial, but we're here to talk about a resurrection. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I couldn't help but think this, this evening, it's a strange turn of events to be introduced by my son in the service here. You know, you can choose your friends but you can't choose your family. Isn't that right? (laughs) Amen. And uh, I appreciate Andrew and what the Lord's doing in his life and how the Lord's using him. And I'm glad to hear that you do also. And uh, life has strange turns. And, you know, I never would have thought even 10 years ago, I suppose now, that uh, I would be standing here to minister for you and have my son introducing me. That just, that just feels so very strange. But I want you to know I'm Andrew Dodd's father. And uh, I know you know him. And uh, we're glad to be with you here this weekend. How many are expecting from God this weekend? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and take our Bibles. I want to speak this evening on the subject of character ascending to the throne character ascending to the throne we're in an ascending hour we are as it were caught i was saying to the saints wednesday night i just preached at home but we are we are caught in a vortex we're caught in like a the gravitational pull of this message that is pulling us into the stature of jesus christ it's not you doing it. It's God doing it. It's all going to be by His grace. And His grace is sovereign. And Brother Branham said, He slipped the wedding band of predestinated, unmerited grace on our finger before the world began. And so it was. It was we were always in the mind of God, predestinated to this position. But now as the, as the hours go by and, you know, there's... Uh, there's things that are unfolding and, and uh, that, that are happening around the world. God is bringing every last member of the body in, and I want you to be sensitive this weekend to how the Lord would speak to you because I believe He wants to show us our position. That's not, that's not an unusual statement. We know that. When the bride knows who she is, then we're going to be caught out of here. But I believe this weekend that God wants to give us a furtherance of the revelation of who we are in His mind, not in our thoughts. We know our weaknesses. We know our failures. But may we come into the very mind of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be turning to Matthew chapter 26 uh, this evening. And just before we read, let's, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father... Lord, we are here with the people that you have called from this area, O God. You have brought them from different paths of life, Lord, that they might sit here in this meeting today. Even as your prophet said in one place, he said, you knew they would be sitting here. You knew exactly what seat they would be sitting in. You knew who would be standing in the pulpit. Lord, you knew exactly what what your spirit is trying to speak, not just to the church at large, but to individuals, because you are an individual God. So Father, may you take this vessel, though inadequate in any human ability, but Lord, you can take any vessel that you choose and minister your word. We have studied your word. We have a few notes here, but Father, may you just take it the way you want it to go this evening. We surrender ourselves to your will, Lord, that you might identify that you are the one that is present to meet the needs of your sons and daughters. Lord, discern every secret of every heart, we pray, as you move through this meeting. Anoint your word afresh as we read it and minister life once again, for your word is spirit and life. We give ourselves to you asking your blessing in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 26, we'll begin reading at verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, "'Even unto death, tarry ye here, and watch with me.' And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, "'O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless, "'not as I will, but as thou wilt.' And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and said unto Peter, "'What, could you not watch with me one hour?' Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. While you're standing, let's also turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. Just read a few scriptures here. We're going to jump in at verse 7. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, speaking about the Lord, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared... Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Amen. The Lord had his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. We've been born into this world for a purpose. As every, as we, Realize as believers in every character of the Bible, we realize their lives are preaching to us, their lives are prophesying to us, their lives are speaking down to the end of time, that God has a redemptive purpose in all these things. That that nothing happens to the elect by chance. That all things work together for good. To them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. These are realities within our life and become more and more real, seemingly unconnected events, seemingly uh, accidental events, seemingly things that happen that, that uh, uh, we never expected in our lives all have a purpose. And God has a purpose within that. And Brother Branham goes into it in the Church Age book, in the Smyrnian Church Age, and I hope you don't mind if I refer to it uh, today. He says his purpose is that after we have suffered a while we would be made perfect, be established, strengthened, and settled. Now, I want to say this morning or this evening is that if you don't feel that you're in yourself, that you are yet perfect, established, strengthened, and settled, God is still working on you. Amen? Amen? Are you glad He's working on you? Brother Brown says, you see, He Himself suffered. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He was actually made perfect by the things that he suffered. And then he quotes the scripture that we just read in Hebrews. And he says, in plain language, the very character of Jesus was perfected by suffering. These are things that you're familiar with, but stay with me. We're just laying the foundation here. He says, and according to Paul, he has left his church with a measure of suffering that they too, by their faith in God, while suffering for him, would come to a place of perfection. Amen? God has a place of perfection for you. Now, perfect isn't the way we view perfect. We look at the mistakes in our lives and we don't view that as perfect. We look at the trials that we go through and, we, and we, we sometimes view them as anomalies. But God has a purpose in the trials. He has a purpose in the suffering. He has a purpose in the things. And if you haven't learned it yet, this life in this world is about suffering. This is not our millennium. You won't have a millennium here. I'm speaking about in this body. You won't have, you won't come to a place where all the battles will stop. You know, that's sometimes where we come to when we're first born again. We, we have this blessed experience of a change of a nature and the Holy Spirit comes in and washes our spirit out and cleanses us and takes away all the complexes and all the fears and takes away all the, the hurts and, you know, it soothes the scars and he, he, he gives us a renewing, a new spirit and a new heart. All right, And in doing that, then it's such a great supernatural experience. Think, oh, life from here on is going to be bliss. But we soon find out there's a battle. We soon find out we've been born into a battle. And God has a purpose. Brother Brown actually says there's no such thing as purgatory in the Catholic idea. But he says if there is a purgatory, this is the purgatory. This is the place we are purged from our sins. Amen. That's why the Bible says in 2 Peter 1, it says, you know, if you don't have the stature of a perfect man, he that lacketh these things has forgotten that he was purged from his sins. And so we are here to be purged. And don't worry, I'm not going to talk this whole service about suffering. Just stay with me a little bit. But Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane was, had been molded into the perfect character by suffering. He, was, he had come to the time he was ready to ascend to the Father's throne. Is that right? Now I realize he's going to preach to souls in prison first. But the, but the end result of the next few days and after about 30 days with the disciples and all of that, then he ascends up on high onto his father's throne or into his father's throne there to make intercession for the believers as the son of God. <laughs> To, as the Holy Spirit, as, as the Lamb of God, to make intercession over seven church ages until in the last days he would come forth from his Father's throne. And then he would take the book and open the book and, and descend down to redeem a bride in these last days' events. Is that right? That's the that's the events that we're caught up into. Now in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, the message to the Laodicean age, it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Amen. So he says now, your overcoming is going to be like my overcoming, your perfection is going to be like my perfection. Your ascending is going to be like my ascending. Amen? You're coming to a throne. Let me, let me just spell it out for you here. Are you with me tonight? I'm going to spell it out for you. God is molding you to be rulers. This is not just about going to heaven and living in some blissful place. And No, God is preparing you to rule and reign with him. We will ascend with him into his throne as he ascended into his father's throne. Amen. So God is bringing this great drama and this great purpose that he has in mind to a final climax and that's what he's doing in this hour. That's why he's perfecting our character. The Bible says being made perfect, speaking of Jesus, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, the author of eternal salvation. You could give me just a little bit more feedback up the front here. I should have had them do that on Wednesday night. I was straining my voice a little bit already this week. Now, the word author here, the author of eternal salvation, it's an interesting word because... In reading about it, they actually have trouble in interpreting this word from the Greek. They use the word author in the King James uh, Bible. In other versions, they use the word the source, the source of eternal salvation. And, and, uh, And in describing the salvation, it says, not everlasting salvation, but a salvation of which all the conditions, attainments, privileges, and rewards transcend the conditions and limitations of time. I thought that was a great definition. What kind of salvation do you have? It's not just forgiven of your sins. No, you've been lifted up into a sphere of salvation. You've been restored back to the thoughts of God. You've been brought into a place where a great cloud of witnesses exists. You've been raised up in heavenly places in Jesus Christ, laying within the revealed word of your day like it was in every day. But now, especially in this day, you've been brought into the realities of the eternal. And Jesus isn't really just the author of salvation. I'll say it this way as one commentator said, he is the salvation. You know, Simeon coming into the temple as Mary held the baby, Jesus. There he was, just an infant, eight days old. Mary had brought him to the the temple to be circumcised. And Simeon goes down the line, and he stops, and he takes the baby into his arm. He says, Lord, God, now let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Amen. Amen. Here, the, the linchpin Here's the key ingredient of the sons of God coming back to their place. Amen. Amen. The fullness of the measure of what God's attributes were meant to be all rested in Jesus Christ. And this son was brought to a maturity. And there in the garden of Gethsemane, uh, here we go. There in the garden of Gethsemane, what a man. We know he was God, but what a man. Because the fullness of the Godhead, which came bodily into him at his baptism, when John baptized him in the spirit of God descending like a dove coming into Jesus, now in the garden of Gethsemane, it leaves him. He's still a man, a perfect creation of God, the beginning of the creation of God. But there he stands now in perfect character. Perfect character, the anointing leaves him. It's no longer the anointing of Luke chapter 4 where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach deliverance to the captives, to preach uh, uh, all of the things that he was sent to preach. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't have it with me here. But he says, you know, he says, uh, this day the Scripture is fulfilled. Yeah. Brother Branham says the greatest anointing that was ever upon a man was upon that vessel. The fullness of God was upon him. And under that anointing, he said, he didn't run around the church. He didn't get up excited and dance and stand and all the No, the Bible says he sat down. And as he sat down, precious words proceeded from his mouth. See, they marveled at the precious words that proceeded from his mouth. It wasn't until afterwards that he began to rebuke them and tell them, you know, what, let me tell you something. There will come a time where you'll say to me, physician, heal yourself. There will come a time where you'll say to me, let the works that were done over here be done in this city. You know, and, and he just began to rebuke them. Then they threw him out. But while he preached, the anointing was upon me. And that great anointing upon him his entire life. Till the till the the, um, the lunatic of the Gatherings, filled with demon power, all Jesus had to say to those demons was go. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. What an anointing. Yeah. You know, he could he never went to a funeral, but what the dead were raised. The anointing of life. That's our Lord Jesus. That's God moving in his tabernacle. And all of those great things that happened in his ministry under that great anointing. But God wasn't just preparing him to express and vindicate the supernatural presence of God in the life. In the life form there. But rather he was preparing him for, as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That vessel was ordained to go to Calvary and to pay the price. And so now he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd never done anything wrong. Are you with me? he never done anything wrong. He never made a mistake. He never spoke a bad word. He never got out of place. He always did everything right. He always had the answer, but now he's there in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But character kicks in. Not my will, but your will be done. Amen, what a man. What a character, and the reason I'm amplifying that is because I want you to realize that's the same molding that's going on in your life. Glory to God. That's the same process. You might wonder, why am I going through what I'm going through? And we'll touch on it from several directions this weekend. But I want you to know God's working on you because you're going to sit in his throne with him. And you've got to have the same character as he has. He was the wave sheaf, the example of perfection for all of us. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, wherefore, seeing we are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Hope this isn't old news for you. It's old news, but it's good for us. That's right. uh, this is why we're here at Easter time. And it's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, think about him, let this be in your minds, consider him that endured much contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds when you get tired, when you get weary of Laodicea, when you get wore out over the, uh, the onslaught of sin in this age, when you see the, the corruption infiltrating every corner of our society, when you see the world gripped in the, the evilness of the devil in Satan's Eden, and it wears you down, consider him. As he endured the shame, despising the shame, endured the cross for one purpose, that he could come to position of what God called him to. So we are also called to endure. So we are also called to press the battle. So we are also called to stand for something in this hour. To fulfill our position as the bride of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. And there are that stood that perfect man. Why do we call what do we call Second Peter 1? The different uh, virtues, faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, etc. We call it the stature of a perfect man. Amen. God bless you, Brother Weed. Nice to see you. You know what, what do we call that? It's the stature of a perfect What does Ephesians 4 say the ministry is for? Until we all come unto the stature of a perfect man, unto the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's what he's bringing us to, and that's the purpose of God in his ministry. But what was he doing there? Think about it now. I don't want us to skip over this part. There a man, weak in the flesh, hung on the cross, losing his blood, beaten to a pulp, afflicted, a thorn, a crown of thorns on his head that had been driven into his, we're talking about Good Friday now, had been driven into his brow. I'll say it this way he was not having a good day. You ever feel like that? I'm not having a good day. But there was the character. As the thief that hung on his, on his one side said to the other thief, this man's done no wrong. We deserve what we're getting, but he doesn't deserve this. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into paradise. He didn't turn aside and say, you know what? I'm having a bad day. Don't bother me right now. I'll preach this direction if you want. This is not my best day. I'm feeling kind of in a lot of pain here. Nails driven through his hands and through his feet. Hanging there suffocating under the pressure of the weight of his body, the blood coming down his brow, the torture that he's been through, rejected, despised. Where's his disciples? They've all fled. They've all run away. John is standing in the distance watching. The women are the only ones that are there. God bless you, sisters. The women are there saying, "He done no wrong. Why are you doing this? There's, there's the crowd mocking him. You know, they don't put king of the Jews, say, put up there, he said he's the king of the Jews. He cries out, Eli, Eli, Lama, Shabbat or however they pronounce it. And, he, and they said, oh, he's calling for Elias. Let's see if Elias will come and deliver him. And they're mocking at him. It, it's not just physical pain. It's psychological pressure. Yeah, right. Everything he's going through right there on Good Friday. Not a good day, but there hangs that thief. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. Hallelujah. What a character. What a character. No character like his character. Yeah. There he stood. That because Brother Brown says, God was expressing his love through human flesh. The tabernacle in which he lived in his own son. That was the purpose of Jesus was to express the very love of God. And even in the depths of the weakest physical moment under the most pain that he could endure, under the total suffering and all of those things, this man's character had been perfected. Hallelujah. What a perfection. I'm sorry I can't help but brag on him. What a perfection. And to know that God has that for me. And God has that for you. Because he's come into your tabernacle for one purpose. That he wants to project his love from your tabernacle. Oh, if we could only realize how that all fits together. You know, how that, you know, the fruit, what's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. It starts with love. Because the Holy Spirit is divine love. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, divine love is there. But divine love dwelling in the individual is not the end of the story. That's just the beginning of the process. That's why the new birth is the beginning of the process of the stature of a perfect man. Because when you go through the virtues of the stature of a perfect man, love is not the first virtue, love is the last virtue. Because the stature of a perfect man is the character molding experience of the believer. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and divine love. Because then when he comes down and seals your wife with divine love, because your spirit is being molded. Oh, I need to go into the details here. Your spirit has been corrupted by this world. Your mind has been twisted up by this world. But God is working on you. He's putting experiences in you so that you don't trust your own feelings. You just believe God's word. No matter what happens, you know God's in control. It doesn't matter what the body is putting you through. It doesn't matter what battles you have with the enemy. It doesn't matter what the scars you have of the past. Can you say amen to that? Those things don't matter. God's molding your life. He's molding your character because he put love in you. But that love isn't just to dwell in you because it isn't just for you. It's to be projected from you. Like God's love was projected from Jesus on the cross to the man that was dying beside him. This day you'll be with me in paradise. Even though he admitted I deserve this. Jesus didn't say, you're right, you deserve it. No, he said, because of your faith, this day you'll be with me in paradise. You see, when love is projected, sovereign grace comes on the scene and produces the result. Hallelujah. God put love in you and molds your character to project love out of you to a dying world. Amen. Amen. That's why, that's why Moses could stop the wrath of God to Israel coming down from the mountain. As God says, Step aside, Moses. What was Moses doing? He was expressing the Spirit of Christ, he was expressing the love of God, he was projecting it to the people. And that love projected stopped the wrath of God and allowed sovereign grace to come on the scene and spare all of Israel because God would have separated Moses out and destroyed everybody else. But God God's love, I'll just say it this way. God's love is greater than God's judgment. Hallelujah. God so loved the world. It still comes out. Listen saints, this is a positive message. This isn't a message of destruction. This isn't a message of how bad you are. Listen, all of us are, are what is it? Failures is the word Brother Branham uses. We're all failures to begin with. Hello? We're all failures to begin with. doesn't matter if you're born in a nice message family that believes the word. We're all failures to begin with. We're all born in sin. We're all shaped in iniquity. We all come into the world speaking lies. We're all the same. But praise God, he loved us. Amen. And love was projected. That's why God, oh, I just have to preach it a little bit. That's why God sent a prophet. See, do you understand what a prophet is? It's like a minister, only he's more gifted. And, and, and so Brother Brandon, being a prophet, had to do things he didn't want to do. Yeah, go look it up. He says, against my better judgment. I wanted to just go out and live in the wilderness. I wanted, But he had to do something to what? Project love into this age. Oh, well, think about the woman that, that in, in Helsinki, in, in Finland. How that he had a, dr- a vision. I love this story. He had a vision. I, I may be to- totally... Trampling on a few, one of the future meetings, but I'm just going to say it now. This woman had, a, had no vision for her son, the second, the second boy. The first boy was raised from the dead on the spot. But the second boy was taken to an ambulance to a hospital in a coma. Both were struck by a vehicle. And, it, and Brother Bram's statement is, I had no vision for the other boy. Is that right? And so he had no vision for the other boy. He had to, he had to, you know, he said, he said to the woman, he even tried to get her away from him because he couldn't heal the boy. Only God could heal the boy. But God never told him nothing. And so there he is, he, service after service now, and she's coming to the hotel, and she's, she's standing by the door. So when he comes in, she says, what about my boy? Have you seen the vision yet for my boy? And he never saw a vision. He never saw a vision. And, and uh, uh, you say, well, is this scripture, Brother Tim? Actually, go back to Abraham and Ishmael. Isaac was in the covenant, but Ishmael was not. Isaac was in the vision, Ishmael was not. But Abraham stood before God and said, and the Bible says Abraham loved Ishmael. And he asked God, he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Ishmael wasn't in the covenant, but God said, I have heard you concerning Ishmael, and I will bless him. And I will make him a mighty nation. Nations will come out of him. And he will be blessed. Why? Because love was projected from Abraham to his son. You wonder what your love projected for your children will do? I'll tell you what. God will hear you. And he wasn't even in the covenant. But here's this woman now that in, in Finland, her boy's not in the vision. You can tell i moved tonight. The boy's not in the vision. Doesn't have thus said. She doesn't have an answer. And she's seeking God. She's seeking God's promise. She's not a spiritual woman. She's not. I don't think she's even a Catholic. I think she's just, just nothing altogether. But, but she recognized the other boy was raised. And here's a man of God. And, you know, do something for my boy. Finally, Brother, brother Brown's brother gave him two candies. Remember the story. He says, and you think Canadian candies are bad? That was his statement. He says, these were even worse. <laughs> and, uh, he, and so he, he, he says he put the two candies on the dresser, and the angel of the Lord come in the room and put a vase down on the table. Brother Brammey even says one place it went clink. He heard the vase hit the table. God got his attention. He turned around, there was the angel of the Lord, a vase and two flowers. And, and the two flowers were like daffodils. They were laying over and uh, dying. And the angel says, Eat the first candy. he says, He ate the first candy and it was sweet. It tastes good. It went down well. He says, The first flower stood up. He said, That represented the first boy raised from the dead. Then he said, Then the angel said, Eat the second candy. And he took the second candy out of the wrapper, put it in his mouth. He said, It was the most awful thing he had ever tasted and he spit it out. Is that right? And the angel said, if you don't eat that, that boy will die. And he shoved it back in his mouth. You see, sometimes ministers have to do things that taste awful to benefit somebody. They don't want to do it that's what Brother Brown is showing. That's what the angel of the Lord is showing in this situation. They don't want to have to do that, but they have to do it for the people's sake. And so there Brother Brown chewed. He says he chewed up that awful tasting candy. It made him, I don't know if it made him nauseous, but he just said it was awful and he swallowed it down. He says then that second flower came up and that second boy was raised from the dead. Listen, it wasn't just a candy. The candy was a symbol. Sometimes when love is projected, it produces something that's not easy to do. But nevertheless, it produces the result. Hallelujah. See, God puts us through things sometimes that are not easy that love might be projected from our lives. Believe me, I've been studying on this a lot lately. Because the older you get, the more you've been through And you wonder about different experiences. You wonder about Job there, you know, losing everything that he had. God called him a perfect man. But there was more that was to come out of Job's life. So he had to go through something that was not easy in order to produce the revelation of the resurrection. You see, brothers and sisters, these tabernacles were made to express God's love. Not just your love, God's love. That's the reason you're made. Your life is not your own. You're bought with a price. Young people, older people, if you could realize that, sometimes it takes a long time for us to get through that. You're not here for yourself. You've been brought into the covenant. And God now wants to use your tabernacle. See, Brother Branham said, what is a gift? He says, a gift is to get yourself out of the way and let God use you. All right? In other words, get yourself out of the way and let God do what God wants to do. So many times we are in the way as individuals, because we want this in life, and we want that in life, and we, want an, we have an idea that my life should go like this, and I have a favorite profession that I want to uh, pursue as a career, or I have some ideas of the things that I want to enjoy in life, and I want to travel here, and I want to do this, and I want to be this, and I want to be that, and we're so much in the way that God can't project love through us. That's why it's Jesus, what was Jesus' perfect character? Not my will, but thy will be done. That love might be projected to the people, and when we come to a perfect submissiveness to the will of God in our lives, then we've come to real Christ-like character. thought I recognized that amen. God bless you, Sister Tina. Good to see you. God bless you. In the Smyrnian church age, Brother Brown says, in very plain language, the true bride of Christ was in the mind of God eternally, though not expressed until each came forth in the designated decreed season. As each member came forth, is this mine? It looks like it's been drank from. Um, as each member came forth, it became expressed and took its place in the body. Thus, this bride is the literal spoken word seed bride. It is. And though she is feminine in designation, she's also called the body of Christ. It is very apparent that she ought to be called that, for she was predestinated in him, came from the same source, was eternal with him, and is now manifesting God in a many-membered body, whereas God was once manifested in one member, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that last statement because we get caught up. Thank you so much. We get caught up in the the overall statement he says is now manifesting god in a many-membered body whereas once god was manifested in one member even our lord jesus christ so let me say it this way as god was manifested in christ now god is manifested in his bride Not the fullness in one individual, but a many-membered bride receiving the divine characteristics of God. And for that reason, he wants to project his love in this hour. God is going to project his love through you. You're caught in this. You can't get away from it. God's going to have his purpose. And the faster we can say, not my will, but thy will be done, the sooner the purpose will be accomplished. As we come to the place of God's purpose within our lives. I, I feel like shouting from the rooftops. O Bride of Jesus Christ, don't get caught up in Laodicea. That's not what your life is about. Don't get caught up in your bank account. Don't get caught up in your retirement fund. Don't worry, God will take care of you. He'll make all those things there that are necessary. But don't get caught up in your careers or get caught up in your education or wherever you are in your life. Those are necessary, natural things. But that's not what your life is about. You're called in this hour to manifest God as Jesus manifested God. God will express His love in its pinnacle in these last hours, and you are that expression. And those are the ones that God's looking for, for He's molding His rulers and bringing us to His divine character. Amen. Now, we're going to take a turn here. Put our turn signals on. How many understand what character is? We talk about it, but how many understand what it is? We use words that describe the process or what it does. We use statements like, the only thing you can take with you is character. Heard that before? All right. The character, well, let me read it the way Brother Branham said in the church age book. He says, character is a victory. It's not a gift. A man without character can't reign because power apart from character is satanic. But power with character is fit to rule. And since he wants us to share even his throne on the same basis that he overcame and is set down on the Father's throne, then we have to overcome to sit with him. All right, you with me? Now, some of you have heard me preach this subject already, but I have to go back into it here and say, we talk about what character does, what its value is, with it we can rule without it, it's demonic, ruling is demonic, and uh, it's a victory, it's not a gift, we know all these things, but what exactly is character? What exactly is it? I, I wrestled with that last year, and I was talking with one a brother and we were just talking about character and it just kind of hit me. You know, we talk we use these platitudes to talk about what it does or what it what it what it how it comes or that sort of thing. But but define character for me. I'm going to give you a minute to think about it. Define character. We see we see it when we see it in somebody's cells. We see it in Jesus. We see the perfect character there. But what is it exactly? What is it exactly? And so I I kept turning it over and over in my mind and I went back to that statement, fit to rule. With character, you're fit to rule. And then it came to me one day, and this is just my interpretation so you can have your own interpretation, but to me, if I would define character in one sentence, character is the ability to make the right decision. No matter how you feel, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the situation, no matter what's against you, you will make the right decision if you have the right character, amen? So we all have to make decisions, amen? Little children make decisions. I have a three-year-old daughter, I think when she was two she made a decision that the Play-Doh that she was playing with needed to go up her nose. Not a good decision. That's why you don't give two-year-olds a lot of decision-making power because they're in the experimenting stage and they're, they're trying to you know, figure things out in life, taste things. You don't let a two-year-old play around a hot stove, right? Because you know they're going to make the wrong decision. Well, that's glowing red. I wonder what it feels like. You know, it doesn't feel very good. You know, you don't, you don't let a two-year-old play unattended around a swimming pool because they make a wrong decision. So there's, there's not much decision-making ability in a two-year-old. But as they, as they begin to grow up, and, and uh, I, I was speaking in a devotion to the young people at our school. I don't know, if, Jack, if you were there when I was speaking on character. Or Tommy, if you were there, yeah. I said, I, I said to the young people, I said, if you had a choice, how many of you would actually come to school today? <sighs> and nobody put their hand up. I said, that's why you don't have a choice. Because if we gave you the decision, you would make the wrong decision. Because you need to be in school. And I said, there's other decisions that you have. And I said, there's other decisions that were forced on you today. And I says, can you think of another one? And they were all mulling around in their minds wondering what it was. And finally, I think somebody said it. I said, it's what you had to wear. Because in our school, they have to wear uniforms. I says, they made that decision for you. You have to wear uniforms. Why did they make that decision for you? Because you'd make the wrong decision, potentially. That someone might make the wrong decision, wear something that maybe wasn't quite appropriate or maybe was out of line or something, just because we all make mistakes, amen? Teenagers, as they grow up, they make decisions. I'll just say it the way I believe it. I think it's a bad decision to put a smartphone into the hands of a teenager, unprotected. Because in taking a, I have my cell phone here, I wouldn't normally bring it to the pulpit. It's not much of a phone anyway, it's still a Blackberry. But in, in, in one of these smartphone devices, you have access to every evil thing in the world. And that's hard for a mature person with real character to handle, let alone an immature person that's still developing in a very weak stage of character. And so we all have these kind of decisions the older you get the more decision making process you have to go through. You have Brother Branham says in Feast of the Trumpets we can make a decision and next year we can think better. We got a better idea of it next year but God can't. He's infinite. His first decision is perfect. Nothing can move it. I can learn more. We're finite. I can learn more. You can learn more. But God can't learn more. He's perfect to begin with. And therefore, his first decision, rest your soul upon it. Amen. When God makes a decision for you, stay there. Amen. That's why even as young people, God allowed you to come into the home that you're in. God gave you your mother. God gave you your father. Thank God for it. That was his decision. Amen? And because he allowed you. You know, we've talked about the miracle of the natural birth. The new birth is a miracle, but the natural birth is a great miracle of odds of millions to one that a child even will come forth from the union of a father and a mother. But yet in the midst of that, God allows that, and here you are. God puts you there. You say, Oh, brother Tim, you don't know. My dad he's got a he's got this problem, or my mom's got this problem. God allowed that for the molding of your character. Because he's bringing something out in you that's a response and a reflection of his divine word. Brother Brown says in time of decision, he says, you have to make other decisions. Before you get married, you have to decide on what girl you're going to make your wife. Amen, Brother Jack. He says, you have, you have women that you have to, you women have to decide on who's going to be your husband. Like the woman here some time ago, she had two men. They were both good men and she couldn't make up her mind which one she was going to marry and she lost, her, lost them both. So there was two men that was interested in her, and she couldn't decide which one she wanted to have as her husband. She ended up having none of them. She was indecisive. He says, God wants so God wants immediate action. If you love him, throw everything else aside and take him. If you believe his word, cast everything else away and take his word. It's time of decision. You have to make up your mind. We're in the last days. We need to make up our minds. You must make the right choice. See, Brother Bram says the choice you make in marriage or other things reflects your character. All right. So God's making us now fit to rule. You still with me? All right. God is making us fit to rule. We find God dealing with different men, making them fit to rule. In the Old Testament, the types and shadows. Joseph, a perfect type of Christ. Rejected of his brethren. Sold into slavery. False accusation against him by Potiphar's wife. Cast down into prison. Forgotten by those that he helped. The baker and the butler. Particularly the butler. Of course, the baker didn't live very long. But the butler forgot about him. And they, you know, when it seemed like it was going to be uh, uh, an avenue for exit in his life, God allowed him to stay there. What was he doing? Getting him ready to rule. He was going to rule over the known world. He wasn't just going to go from being a, a little boy in, uh, in Jacob's house to sitting on the right hand of Pharaoh. That wasn't the process. The process was... It was quite a number of years, I think it was 15 years from there till he was 30 years old and he, and he then was brought out of prison to fulfill the purpose in his life. And when he stepped into that place, he had the right character to administer the power that God was placing in his hands. Can you say amen to that? You know, we look at David anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel. Said David, you're going to be king over Israel. He's the youngest boy there and Samuel anoints him. He's anointed by a vindicated prophet. And he goes back out to tend the sheep. And he kills the lion, he kills the bear. He goes down into the camp to take food to his brethren and, and, and there he kills Goliath. And, and he, it seems like everything's moving quite quickly in his life and he's getting quickly promoted through the ranks, we might say. And there he is now in, in the palace and he marries, he's married to uh, uh, Saul's daughter. So he's now the son-in-law of the king and everything's coming. Jonathan recognizes, David, you're actually the one that's going to be king. All of Israel thought Jonathan was going to be king. You understand? We know it wasn't Jonathan, but Israel didn't know it wasn't Jonathan. They thought after Saul, because the throne is hereditary, after Saul would be Jonathan. But yet God had anointed David to be king. And so the logical procession was, well, something's going to happen here, and I'm going to have to step into the throne. And what happens is he has to run for his life into the wilderness. And he's in the wilderness for four years. And then he's living amongst the Philistines for four years. Talk about a, a lowest state of life. All of those he's at heathens, everywhere he looks is heathens. There's nothing in rejoicing. he can't go to the temple, he can't go to the tabernacle, he can't worship, he can't take, take the showbread here, he can't take, you know, the sacrifice to the tabernacle and all of those things, and there he is for four years there, and then he comes back, and then there's war in Israel. It's actually, I think, 14 years after David is anointed that he finally comes to the throne. Why? Character development. Amen. This is a great notable feature, is always character. You know, when God deals with the women in the lineage of Christ, whether it be Tamar or Rahab or Ruth or Bathsheba, the notable attribute is character. You know, there was was, uh, uh, Rahab, or let's go back to Tamar. You say, well, how could Tamar's be character? Because Judah, who, from who the scepter was to come through, there he wouldn't give his son to Tamar, but God had chosen Tamar. And so there's something in Tamar that she must bear the lineage of Judah. And finally one day she deceives Judah, and, and then she becomes pregnant, and Judah looks at her, and, and, and he hears that she's pregnant. He says, bring her forth and we'll burn her because of her, her, her prostitution, her adultery, her, her, her fornicating ways. We're going to burn her because we don't want any of that amongst us. Here's the guy that impregnated her. Not a lot of character there. But now he calls her forth and she just simply says, well, bring the staff and bring the signet and bring the bracelets out of my tent. And she, and she says, the one who impregnated me owns those. And she lays them out, and they lay them out before Judah. And Judah's at least got enough character to say, you know what? That's mine. So therefore, her seed is my seed. And And what did he say? She is more righteous than I am. Because I deprived her of her right to be a mother. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, the woman had character. Rahab. See, what I'm trying to show you is you might think your past is miserable. That has nothing to do with your character. The character we're talking about is a Christ-like character that's molded in you after the new birth. Not Not what problems you had before in life. What God's doing in your life now. And Rahab stood there with those spies and said, Give me a true token. And they gave her and they said to her, You bind this rope in your window and you get your family members under this token. What kind of what kind of life did she have to share with her family members? She was a prostitute. Rahab the harlot. And she said, Get, but they said, get your family in here, and whoever's in under this token will be saved. And she believed the message more than she believed her own life. Hallelujah. She believed the messengers more than she believed her mistakes. Come on, bride. She believed the messengers more than she believed her own mistakes. Hallelujah. I believe this message. I believe God has sent this message to bring our character into the very image of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And she took that token and applied that token and saved her household. Character. She didn't just slough it off and say, well, I'm saved. I'm going to make it because I'm under the token. No, she labored to get her family there. Oh, God help us. God help us to get everyone that we can under the token. Amen. Ruth, what was her defining characteristic was her character. Boaz was interested in that. He was interested in Her character. What is she doing here? What kind of woman? Does she, I'll just say it this way, does she flirt with the young man? Is she trying to find a husband? And they said to her, no, she's not. She doesn't spend time with the young man. She's just here to glean. And Boaz noted her character. They said, she's of the house of Elimelech and, and uh, her, her mother-in-law's Naomi and they need redemption. And, and finally Ruth says to Boaz herself, you're a near kinsman. And you're my only source of hope. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, if you need hope, just turn to Jesus this morning. Just turn to Jesus today. He might be your only source of hope, but he's the best source of hope. I got I to gotta press on here. I don't want to keep you too late. What time do we start? Six o'clock? Oh my, I'm past time. You give me a few more minutes? All right. I won't ask you to define few. All right. We know that God is molding rulers, and Christ himself is our example. God puts all, all power in his hands. Jesus is the son of David according to the fact that he will sit on the throne of David in the millennium and reign and rule over his heritage. Who will sit with him? Who will sit with him? Who's his bride? Put your name there. I'm going there. So when you, hear, when you hear the Scriptures describing Jesus and his authority and his rule as son of David, you've got to put yourself in the middle of that. Amen. You're not some distant relative as we heard earlier today. You're very connected to him. You are exactly his portion. He doesn't view you as someone afar off. You are the purpose of his life. You are the very one. You are the very reason he has allowed this age to go on. And may God help us as he molds us into the character. You know, God said in the very beginning that let us make man in our image. That was the purpose of God. And the word is bringing us back to that. So that if you say to this mountain... Be thou removed and cast into the sea, it must obey you. Jesus said in Mark 11, he said, and if you say to this mountain, and shall not doubt in your heart, but but shall believe those things which he saith, shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith." Let me just say it this way. We've talked about the third pole. We've talked about speaking the word. Come on. Are you message believers? We've talked about these things for many years. There's only one thing that hinders you character because power with character is fit to rule If you say to this mountain, without character, God's not going to give you the revelation to speak things into existence. There must be the character in place. God did not give Joseph the position without the character. God did not give David the position without the character. And God does not give you the position without the character. I say, Lord, mold the character in my life. Lord, bring to pass the necessary character. That's why even Saul, King Saul, was not fit to rule. He looked good. He looked like he would fit the role, head and shoulders above everybody. But yet in the midst of all that, when the pressure was on, he could not stay behind the word. The prophet told him, you wait in this battle until I come and make the sacrifice. One day went by, two days, three, four, five, six, seven days. Finally, Saul says, I don't see Samuel anywhere, and it's the seventh day. Listen, we're in the seventh day. This is the seventh age. There's pressure on this seventh day. Just like there was pressure on Saul, he was worried that everybody would scatter. I'll tell you what, God's not gonna lose one, folks. God's not gonna lose one. Jesus said, no man can pluck them from my hand. All that the Father has given me will come to me. Don't worry what's going on. Don't worry about the pressures of the age. Don't worry about the pressures on the children. You're gonna have every one of them. Believe for you in your house. God has commissioned us to hold true. The prophet has given us the word to stand. And the prophet says, this is a pressure packed age. Till till it's so much pressure, till people don't even hardly know how to maintain their nervous systems in this age. But yet, stand on the word of God. Separate yourself from the media. You know, if if, you—I don't know why I'm here. If you feed on the media, if you feed on whether it be social media, whether it be news media, whatever it is, if you're constantly filling your mind with those kind of things, guess what's going to happen? You're going to go crazy. Fill your mind with thus saith the Lord. Let the promises be your portion. Whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are of a good report. Think on these things. It doesn't matter which direction the world's going in. We're going in a different direction. See, but Saul, the reason that Saul wasn't fit to rule because he was the people's idea of what a king was because the people actually didn't want God to rule their lives. It wasn't about Samuel. Even God said that to Samuel. He says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Amen. Don't put another king in your life besides the word of God. God has a purpose in our lives to mold us into his very image. All right, so we're coming down to a close here. Decisions are tough. Character is the ability to make the right decision. Decisions are tough. Let me just say, Brother Brown talks about it, even himself. He says, many times people think that's a prophetic gift, that God just says, I'll pick you up here and set you down here, and you just go right over here. He doesn't tell you all those things. If he did, then what overcoming faith did you have? All right. He says, see, he lets you stand alone more than anybody else. He's talking about himself. He says, you all can come to me and ask for certain things, and he's never failed yet, but what he's give you the answer. But I can ask him for things for myself, and many times he lets me just stand alone, just lets me go ahead and walk into it. I have things now that I have to solve out myself and decisions I have to make, and this is such a vital one, till I cannot make it until I'm sure that it's him speaking to me and he won't give me a vision. He just lets me alone. You ever felt like that? Sure. So I'm just sitting as an orphan like this morning. I don't know which way to turn. What is it? Character. What does he say about the bride? The bride has, thus saith the Lord, or she stands still. She's not making any old decision, any old direction. She wants to know what's pleasing to God. Amen? A decision is an exercise in free moral agency. You're a free moral agent. I don't know if you know that. But man was put here on free moral agency because only in free moral agency can character be developed. If God didn't give you a free moral agency, there'd be no character, there'd be no overcoming, there'd be no faith victory. There'd be no possessing of the great rewards that God has in store for us. So you've been put here in an indecisive state to not know all the answers, but that God would put his word into you and strengthen you. His purpose is that you would be strengthened, you would be settled, and that you would be perfected. Amen. The battle that goes on in the mind and you choose. A real decision, whatever you choose, determines what dominates your life. And God is training us to stand with his word and choose wisely. Oh, listen, because there'll come a time that you'll be sitting in the throne and someone will come before the throne that you know. And it'll be your decision what happens to that person? This is serious business, folks. This isn't playing games. You'll be ruling and reigning. Know you not that the saints shall judge the earth? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Know you not that we shall judge angels? Daniel chapter 7 says, I, I beheld until the horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. That's you. That's me. We're coming to the fullness of character. That's all that's left now. There's no events left. There's only one event left. That's the coming of the Lord. That's the rapture, the change of these mortal bodies. We're already caught into the process of it. We can't stop it. Hallelujah. I'm glad we can't stop it. You know, when God sent a prophet and sent his angels to break those seals, the Lamb broke the seals and sent the angels to the prophet to pronounce the revelation of the seals. And he stood there in 1963 and pronounced those seals. What was he doing? He wasn't just giving the church some nice thoughts that the church never had anymore. He's pronouncing, the time of the end has arrived. It can no longer be stopped. The time is upon the earth. And the bride is being brought into the image of the word. Because God is going to take this bride off the earth. To sit with him in his throne. Amen. Hallelujah. As he also overcame. And is sat down with the father in his throne. Alright here we come to the end. I had to lay this all out so I could. Is this alright? So I could move on tomorrow. You beginning to see yourself? Don't let the devil knock you down. Say you're a nobody. No, you're a ruler. You're a king and a priest. Amen. Amen. You're called to make decisions in the white throne judgment. When people walk before you. Who do you think it's going to be? When somebody says, you know, somebody walks before them and their life is, is played before them. And, they're, they're, and judgment is set. And everything's, all the evidence is already in. I don't have time to preach on that. But the evidence is being supplied right now. When the white throne judgment happens, there's no more evidence to be provided. The evidence is already recorded. That's the judgment. And you'll be sitting there and somebody, might be your next door neighbor. Might be somebody that, at work or Somebody. And they they walk before the throne, and they're just trembling in their boots before that great and powerful light of God, because they know they they never received the word of God. But you're sitting there, and you say, but Lord, he gave me a glass of water. Hallelujah. I'll say to some of you, it'll be like me. And I don't say this out of human emotion, but I say it based on the promise of the word. When my mother comes before that throne, she never believed this message. She was raised in Pentecost, even though she, she uh, uh, what can I say, she was in Brother Branham's prayer lines, was healed as a little girl. But yet when I came into the message, she couldn't receive it. Did she have the Holy Ghost? I hate to say it, I don't think so based on the life that she lived. My dad, based on the life that he lived. But one day, there'll be a white throne judgment. And when they stand before that throne, I'll be able to say, but Lord, she fed me. But Lord, she clothed me. But Lord, she, she bandaged up my wounds. He provided the income for the house. He paid the bills so that I could live. You don't think it means something for you to be in that throne? It's going to mean everything to them. Hallelujah. Because you're called to rule and reign with Christ. We make mistakes. Brother Brownham made mistakes in his life. His early decision mistakes listening to his mother-in-law when he ought not to have. Cost him his wife and his daughter. It was a heavy price to pay for not following the leading of the Lord to go and minister amongst the Pentecostals. When he went to South Africa and preached there and, and ended up following the ministers as they pushed him into a schedule that God didn't want for him. God wanted him to go a different direction, but he, under the pressure of those ministers... He, he, he followed that schedule and it almost cost him his life. He got the amoeba and, and became very sick and was off the field for, I don't know if it was a year or so, quite a number of months. Other places like when he was uh, in the vision or saw a vision of a little baby being healed and saw the house in a A woman had to be sitting in a certain chair and a hat had to be in a certain place. And there's a certain person in another position. He saw all the details of the vision. But he got ahead of the vision. What was God doing? He's molding his character to stay in the word. To realize that decisions matter. And there are consequences to decisions. Even the early part of his ministry. And as, as he allowed them to promote what's called miracle lines. In the early part of it, you know, you know they, they put up advertisement. Miracles happen every night. Come see a miracle. And they were attracting the people. And the angel told them, said, don't do that anymore. And when he kept doing it, he paid the price for it. Why? Because it wasn't God's will. The angel told him, if you're just promoting miracles, it'll come to pass that the people won't even believe the word unless they see a miracle. That's not what it's for. And so he, he he had all of these things, but Brother Brown says you have to be careful because power with character is fit to rule. Brother Brownham says when anything, this is 1959, when anyone does anything wrong to me, I never pray against them. I pray for them. That's where the Holy Spirit gave the test the other night in New England before this happened down here when he gave power and said, just speak what you will to them people. Brother Brown describes a service. He says where I think it was an auditorium. He says, and right down in the lower part there was a young couple and they begin to I don't know what you call it in this hour, they begin to uh, they just begin to do immoral things together. They begin to misbehave themselves in the house of God, in the meeting. And I don't think it was a church, but I think it was an auditorium. And there they, they were in the, they begin to kiss and do all kinds of ungodly things. And Brother Branham, the deacons came and tried to stop them. They wouldn't stop. It was demonic. It wasn't just foolish children. It was demonic. And then, then Brother Branham, uh, said to them, he said, he said right over the pulpit, he says, don't do that here. If you want to do that, go somewhere else. Leave the meeting. They wouldn't stop. And said, and he was standing there and the angel of the Lord had told him there's a test coming for him and this was the test. And now he's standing there because Brother Bram called it his final test. Because God wanted to know what decision he was going to make. And so as he's standing there now with this young couple, misbehaving themselves, he knows what the presence of the Lord, he knows what the angel of the Lord is. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, whatever you say, it's going to happen. Whatever you say. He says, and Brother Brown's words are, it says, then the devil came behind that and says, Say tuberculosis say cancer say death they'll pack them out of here they shouldn't have been they should have listened to you just say it's over for them listen saints god help us what would you do with that kind of power what would you do if somebody had offended you so deeply Sometimes we come to church and we can't shake somebody's hand because we're offended. What would we do if God said, say whatever you can to that person and it'll happen just like you say. Do you have the character to handle that? I know it's getting quiet. This is soul searching for all of us. Somebody done something wrong to you. Somebody made a mistake. Say whatever you will. And there's Brother Branham standing there. And the devil's putting thoughts in his mind. Don't think the devil won't put thoughts in your mind. Even when God gives you the authority, says, say whatever you will. And the devil says, You ought to just say death. You ought to just say car accident. You ought to just say this. You ought to just say that. And Brother Brown says, I was standing there sweating. I wanted to say the right thing. He says, a sweat began to pour down my face. The pressure of the moment. The pressure of the decision. But praise God, the character had been molded into place. And as he stood there, it finally came to him. Hallelujah. From deep down in the inside, he said, I forgive you. He says, and the presence of God came down into the meeting, and the Holy Ghost began to save souls and heal the sick and do supernatural things. Why? Because he had made the right decision. Hallelujah. I say, God, mold my character. Lord, make me more like that. Let mold me into where I'm a tabernacle, where the love of God can be projected from my life. He says, I looked down there and I said, I forgive you. He says, that's exactly what he wanted, see. Forgive your enemies. Oh, this might be a simple subject tonight for the first meeting this weekend. But I say to you, bride, forgive your enemies. Forgive your enemies. Say the right thing towards them. Pray the right thing about them. Let God come on the scene. Let love be projected towards them. Amen. Amen. Oh, listen, we ought to be shouting from the rooftops, saying, Lord, mold my character. If you're not there this evening, you ought to say, Lord, mold me tonight. He says, see, those spirits are the things that make you evil. Watch them spirits. He said, I forgive you. Why? Because he had to come to the fullness of the measure of the stature of a perfect man in the last days. Because there was a man in perfect character in the Garden of Gethsemane and hung on the cross. And he, as he stood there, as he hung there, in total pain and agony, racking his body, just the last breaths of his life going out from him. He's about to cross over. His spirit is about to leave his body. And what are his words to all these Jews? The, the, the priests standing there mocking him the Pharisees that were against him, the disciples that had run away, everybody that was there, he stood there by himself, and his words were, Father, forgive them. (laughs) Hallelujah. They don't know what they do. As Jesus overcame and sat down on his Father's throne, so shall you overcome and sit with Jesus in his throne. Let the musicians come. God's equipping his bride with character. What did God say to Brother Branham? When, he, when the prophecy went over him, over the meeting there, when he had preached a hard service and stood against denomination and man-made ideas, And the minister got up behind him to close the meeting and said, I don't think Brother Branham really meant all those things. And Brother Branham says, I sure did. And I stand on them because they're the word of God. And then a prophecy goes forth by Danny Henry. And what is the interpretation of that prophecy? Because thou hast chosen the harder way. The narrow path. Thou hast walked of your own choosing. Thou hast picked the correct and precise decision. And it is my way. Because of this momentous decision, a huge portion of heaven awaits thee. What was that? That was the opening of the word. Because his character come to the place that God could use him, now God was ready to open the word. The portion of heaven that had never been revealed was now going to be revealed for who? For Brother Branham? No, for you. That you might have, because God said, this is that in itself was that which will give and bring to pass their tremendous victory. In the love divine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother Brown's love for the Word, love for God, and love for God's people produced the character that God could use him to announce the opening of the seven seals. That out of the seven seals could be loosed all the mysteries that are necessary to bring the church into rapturing faith. To bring the power of of divine love into the fullness of its measure in the bride of Jesus Christ. God is equipping us with the best thing he could to rule. And it's not power, it's character. He's revealed his word. He's brought you through many trials so that in the end no matter what the situation, no matter what the trial, no matter what the decision, you can say, God's word is true. Amen. I am thine, O Lord. Draw me nearer. If you would just play that. Jesus in the garden, reflecting great character. Jesus on the cross reflecting great character. Let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will. Not my will. I wonder how many would stand this, this evening and say that to the Lord. Not my will, O oh God, but thy will be done. How many would take a stand this evening and say, Lord, that's what I want for my life. That's where I'm standing this evening, oh God. Brother Branham says, what what kind of a character would you choose? He says, would it be the character of this characterless Laodicean age? Or would it be the Christ-like character molded in the fiery furnace of affliction? It's not just a question of having good character. It's not so somebody could say about you, oh, that person's got good character. Oh, that person is so much like Jesus. No, there's a much greater purpose than that. As I overcame and sat down in my Father's throne, even this promise is to you, the overcomer in the seventh age. So shall you sit with me in my throne. Good Friday is about Calvary, and Calvary is about perfect character reflecting perfect love to overcome death. I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy.